This is not a drill. I'm about to preach my own job description. And that's difficult. <laughs> so show me lots of grace. First Timothy is this letter on how to do church from Paul to Timothy, who was pastoring the church at Ephesus, the church that Paul himself had helped plant alongside Priscilla and Aquila. And in it, he gives the qualifications for my role. He gives the qualifications for a pastor, a term that is interchangeable with overseer, which is interchangeable with, interchangeable with elder. So every time you see pastor, overseer, elder, you're seeing the same word. And he's given this job description that applies quite directly in our context today. So bear with me as I read the very job description to which I was personally called myself. Can you imagine a setting in which you have to get up in front of your company and read your job description? <laughs> That's exactly what's happening right now. <laughs> First Timothy 3 gives the qualifications for elders, overseers, and pastors, as well as for the diaconate. Now, the first question that will come to mind for anybody who is physically present regularly at Highlands Community Church is, okay, so why does Highlands then ordain women as deaconesses? Or rather, why does Highlands have deaconesses when there are no deaconesses named in 1 Timothy 3? It's true. If our description for the office of deacon came only from 1 Timothy 3, we would not have deaconesses because they're never named in this chapter. In fact, there are even some qualifications given for the deacon's wife. And Paul would never confuse male and female genders. He would also never have a view of same-sex marriage whereby this deacon's wife would actually be referring to a man. So if our roles for, the, the, for deacon and deaconess came only from 1 Timothy 3, we'd actually not have an office of deaconess. However, we believe... All scripture is breathed out by God. All the Bible is inspired by God. In Romans 16, verse 1, Paul lifts up an individual servant of God named Phoebe. And he lifts her up with the word deaconess. It is the female version of the same word for servant, whereby we get the word deacon. And so, in this affectionate title, Phoebe, as deaconess, we see there the biblical basis for the office of a female version of everything we see in the office of deacon described in 1 Timothy 3. So at Highlands adapting scripture and interpreting it in our own context, we have deaconesses who will help serve in the administration of communion elements uh, and in some other ways. This is following in the beautiful tradition of Phoebe, who's named in Romans 16, 1. All right, now let's look at the biblical qualifications here, but let's do it with the proper context in mind. Why is Paul writing this out? It's helpful to go back and review and reread the first couple of chapters before you do this, because as we break books into small pieces over the, over the period of time, it gives us a chance to zoom in on small details, but there's a downside to it as well. In its original intent, this was actually a letter that was written from one man to another intended for that man, Timothy, to sit down and read the whole thing in one sitting. And so when we just take off a few sentences at a time and spread it over the course of months, it's easy for us to lose track of where we started weeks after we've begun. And if you miss a couple weeks in between, that's like missing an hour from a two-hour movie, right? Paul knows the backstory here. He helped plant this church at Ephesus where Timothy was doing ministry. He knows exactly what Timothy's going to face. He knows that there are wolves, false teachers are going to come in, 
false elders who were going to infiltrate the church, and he even prophesied this and gave warning about this, speaking about his beloved church at Ephesus that he helped plant alongside Priscilla and Aquila back in Acts. Paul says exactly this, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul lifts up this prophecy. Look, after I'm gone, I, I, I labored here for three years teaching the whole counsel of God, but I know that fierce wolves are going to come in. So he tells them to be alert and to be ready. He knows this is his, his goodbye to the crowd to whom he's speaking here in Acts chapter 20. And they embrace him and kiss him because he knows this is the last time they're going to see his face. And so that ends with this, this, this painful goodbye uh, at the end of the chapter in verse 37. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So Paul gives this warning about what's going to happen in the church at Ephesus before departing in the book of Acts. And now... Upon receipt of this letter, apparently in 1 Timothy, that prophecy has come true. That prediction has been proven accurate. Indeed, false teachers have come in. Unqualified elders have infiltrated the church. So this list of qualifications for elder, overseer, pastor, and deacon serves Timothy well as a rubric by which to figure out who among the elder leadership is unqualified for ministry and to weed them out. Now, when we study the book of Titus, you'll see that Titus is given a similar instrument. But Titus's calling is different, so the wording is slightly different. Here's the, here's the difference in their contexts. Titus is going to the island of Crete to just plant the church, to launch new ministries, to appoint new elders who are qualified in this way. Timothy, however, is inheriting a pre-established ministry that already has an elder board. And that's the problem. Some of these elders are actually wolves. They're false teachers. They're unqualified. They're unfit for ministry. And they need to be called to step down. So Timothy is called to weed out the unqualified elders. Titus is called to enlist the qualified elders. But both of them are given a similar rubric. So when we arrive at the book of Titus, we'll put those two instruments together to form one cohesive uh, test whereby you can see if somebody is called to be an elder, overseer, a pastor, and then likewise uh, a deacon. All right. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and go back and, and, and view it piece by piece. Okay. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, 
not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is in the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Back to verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That aspiration is important. There are some people who have the qualifications, but they don't have the aspiration. They're qualified. They could be great pastors, but they don't desire it. So they're not called. Then, and uh, conversely, there are also some people who have the desire to become pastors, but they lack the qualifications. It's sort of a rare combination to find somebody who is both qualified to do it and actually wants to do it. This desire is intense. This is a, this is a deep longing. John, John MacArthur says the person who has that aspiration unto ministry can barely stand the obligation of seminary. Right? To the person who's called to ministry, seminary is this necessary training ground. It is like boot camp to the soldier. It's something you just got to get through so that you can get to the real thing. Seminary is a great place. You can be equipped for ministry there. You can, you can re- receive incredible tools. You can also have some of the enemy's traps you know, uh, dismantled for you ahead of time. You can learn from the wisdom of people who have been doing ministry for a long time. Right? But there's a different calling in the seminary world. There are some who are called to get the PhD degree, to learn how to become professors, to be able to teach other people, and just stay in the context of the seminary. That's a necessary thing. We need more professors who, who are good at ministry, particularly ministry, uh, professors who have experienced ministry themselves. But understand that there's a difference between that calling to serve in the seminary, in, in, the, in, the, in the academy, and the, and the calling to serve on the front lines of the church itself. The person who's called to serve in the seminary is called to get a PhD and be a professor. That's different from the call to this office that Paul is describing. Right? To the person who's called to the office of overseer, pastor, and an elder, man, they can barely stand the time they're spending on seminary work because they feel like it distracts them from the actual thing. Everything's an intellectual exercise. It's done in theory. Some of it's research-based, but even that just adds obligation to the ministry that they're actually already doing. I've seen this played out in a, in a clear dichotomy in my own experience in seminary. When I went to seminary, I attended New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and they provided extension centers at churches all around that part of the U.S. So I went to Olive Baptist Church to attend an extension center of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary to complete what's called the MDiv, or Master of Divinity degree. It's sort of the standard degree that pastors get that teaches us Hebrew, teaches us Greek, and teaches us some of the fundamentals of leading a church. I saw a stark difference between my direct peers who are the same age as me. While I was still full-time as a youth pastor at at a small church, Some of these guys were my age, but they went straight from college to seminary, and they were there full time. They had not yet served at a church, so to them, everything about ministry was just conceptual. It was was an intellectual exercise. 
And then my colleagues, my classmates right there at the Extension Center, some of these guys had been in ministry for years and years, like Pastor Ted Bridges. He was this older guy in the faith who had been a pastor for several years of a small country church nearby. Now, when my phone rang, if I ever got a text message, it was understood, I'm gonna sit there and leave my phone in my pocket and not disrupt class. But Pastor Ted Bridges, it was understood if his phone rang, like somebody somewhere died, he's gotta go. <laughs> like his phone calls are way more important than mine, so we're gonna show him grace. And so I fully respected that, and I, I learned from the difference between my peers who were on campus and hadn't done ministry yet, and my classmates at the extension centers who were in the front lines and the trenches with dirt under their fingernails from the from the very the, the trenches of the very onslaught of, of of church ministry. There was once a question that was raised by a professor. It was answered a little bit too enthusiastically by one of my peers, the same age as me, who was on campus and said that if he was ever questioned in his authority by a parent of a student, he would put his finger in her face and remind her that he is the pastor and she is not. And I could just see Pastor Ted Bridges' face just disappeared into his hands asking, I could just see it all over his face, what am I doing here? Because for the one who is doing ministry full-time. Seminary is an important training ground, but it's something you want to get over with as quickly as possible. It's like boot camp to the soldier. Let me get out there to where the war actually is and not talk about it in conceptual terms here. There are some times in which your projects will align so that you can write about what you're actually doing at your church, but oftentimes that just adds another obligation to the already all-eclipsing busy work of pastoral ministry. The person who has this aspiration and a calling is going to view seminary as a necessary equipping time to get to the end goal, and it's going to be something they want to get rid of completely. Now, there's a different kind of calling that's worth lifting up as well here. There are some who want nothing more than to stay in the seminary forever. They get a PhD degree. They want that kind of doctorate so they can produce other PhDs. They can speak to other doctoral students, and they, they wish to do academic work in a spiritual sense and equip the church or other seminaries with more professors. That's a different calling, all right? Seminaries do not make pastors. Only churches can do that. So the kind of guy that I'm, I'm looking for to come serve as a pastor at Highlands Community Church is the kind of guy who, I mean, seminary training is a big plus, but the way that he views it is important, all right? It is one of those necessary training events to endure and get done. <laughs> That aspiration under ministry is all eclipsing. I like in the moment that I finally was able to come and fulfill this calling at Highlands Community Church like I've been swimming toward the surface my whole entire life and I could see the light breaking through the waves at the crest and then finally burst through and breathe at last. That's what it felt like to finally answer this calling that had been heavy upon my heart my whole entire life. As we look at the differences between the qualifications for overseer and the qualifications for deacon, there's some similarities and there's some differences, right? There are 14 requirements given in verses one through seven for the overseer or elder or pastor. And then there are seven requirements that are given for the deacon collectively in verses eight through 13. But then right in the middle of verses eight through 13 are four additional requirements speaking specifically to the deacon's wife. The ones that they have in common are husband of one wife, speaking about overseers in verse 2, is reiterated of elders in verse 12, or uh, deacons in verse 12, being sober-minded in verse 2 regarding pastors, is reiterated in verse 11 of deacons' wives, likely applying to deacons as well, not a drunkard in verse 3 regarding overseers, 
is directly analogous to not addicted to much wine in verse 8, describing deacons. Manage his own household well, overseer in verse 4, is reiterated in verse 12 of deacons managing their children and their households well. Now, if we incorporate the list of qualifications in Titus, you'll see a little bit more similarity between the office of overseer and the office of deacon. But there's one conspicuous difference between the two. The ability to teach that is so clearly present in the office of overseer is, is a critical difference. It's one of the most obvious distinctions between the two roles. It's not the only thing that makes a pastor, though. You can have the gift to teach, but not be called to be a pastor. Okay? The gifting to teach does not, in and of itself alone, a pastor make. So what are you to do if you have the gift to teach, but you're not called to be a pastor? There are numerous ways, and we spoke about it in our previous message on 1 Timothy chapter 2, that you can use that gifting to teach in things other than the assembly of the church together of all ages. There are numerous ministerial contexts in which the pastor of a church is probably not the most qualified person to speak into and often is not the best person to speak into a given focused issue that addresses a specific group of people. There, the plurality of elders and a, and a multitude of giftings within the church, men and women alike who have the gifting to teach, there's always going to be a setting in which, for example, in, min, in women's conferences and ministry at different age levels, there are different ways in which a woman is better qualified to teach women than a man is. So the only restriction here for a woman who has the gift of teaching is the overall ecclesia, the gathering of believers of all ages and the whole family collectively. That's the only thing that's restricted here. That's the only thing to which men are called exclusively. So the gifting to teach is an important gifting, and there are beautiful outlets right here at Highlands Community Church and elsewhere where you can use exactly that gift. Praise God, if you are a woman who has the gift to teach, as long as you abide by what Scripture gives you in terms of its clear lanes, it provides that powerful lens through which your gift can be magnified, then by all means, use that gift to the glory of God and sleep well at night with a clear conscience knowing you did so in a way that fully abides by what Scripture provides. These different qualifications are also a part of a questionnaire that we use at Highlands Community Church to see if somebody is called to be an elder, an overseer, a pastor. So it's, it's really funny. I mean, this is not a drill. Once again, like, I can read you directly from the questionnaire that we use at Highlands. Qualification for qualification, straight out of, out of 1 Timothy, begins with above reproach. It asks the question, uh, should, should somebody be nominated as an elder? Can a charge be brought against him? Uh, and can, the, uh, can, can any charge be brought against him uh, be, be fully refuted? Is he above reproach? Is he temperate? This is echoed in Titus 1.8. Is he free from areas of excess or a lack of moderation? Is he, does he have any habits that control him? Is he prudent? All right, uh, or sober in the, in the King James Version? Is he free from having to show his superiority? Is he respectable? Does he have a well-ordered life? Is he a one-woman man? All right, this is another place in which churches will teach different things. What we believe at Highlands is, is his marriage relationship stable and growing? Is he free of any casual relationships with other women that could be misinterpreted by others? Is he devoted to his wife? Right, this is important. It's, in, it's important to my soul that everybody who serves at Highlands Community Church has a rock-solid marriage. Our homes and our marriages are to be pictures of the gospel. We manage that household well so that we are then qualified to lead the household of God. As I interviewed for my role here at Highlands Community Church, 
when I was speaking with the Collective Elder Board, I said, look, if you ever want to bless me, just make sure that my bride and my babies feel loved, and I'll be just fine. And thank you, Highlands Community Church, you have done exactly that. We all at that table, I said, have a, we all have a vested interest in making sure that I raise my kids well. Because there's a chance, there, there are instances which, man, a, a, a brother in Christ who's called to be an overseer can disqualify himself for the ministry of the church because of how he fails his family at home. It doesn't matter what awesome things happen at the church, if his house is falling apart, if his family is falling to pieces, then he's not qualified to lead God's family. Right? Now, uh, there are some other, some other standards that come from this are you know, able to teach. Can he share the gospel with unbelievers? Can he disciple the new believer? Can he study, correctly interpret scripture and teach others the scriptures? Does he have a grip on the scriptural principles and demonstrated the, the ability to pass that on to others? Hospitality, this is an important, important spiritual gift. Does he enjoy opening his home and possessions for use by friends and strangers? I'm working on this one myself. All right, right now, Spencer's behind the camera. He came to my house after Easter and had some of my pork shoulder. Was it good? Is it, it good? good? Okay, he said it was good. <laughs> I'm working on this. I gotta learn how to cook for mass quantities of people, especially as my boys grow up to be teenagers. God help us. <laughs> We've got a lot of people to feed. All right, free from the love of money, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious. That's a really cool word. I think we should bring it back into style. Is he gentle, uncontentious? Does he manage his household well? Are his children under control and believers all right, all of his children believers, do they respond positively to parental authority? Do they respond positively to the authority of others? Do, does his child's behavior honor the Lord? Is he, is he not a new convert? You, can't, you cannot be saved and immediately meet all these qualifications, right? Does he have a good reputation? Now, all of this for the qualification of an elder is clearly built around, the, uh, built around a man. And there is no corresponding Phoebe elsewhere in Scripture as there is for the office of deacon. Again, if you were to draw your qualifications for, for pastors and deacons only from 1 Timothy, you would not ordain women as deaconesses if you apply the word ordain that way. Rather, it is from a collective view of all of Scripture, incorporating both 1 Timothy 3 and Romans 16.1 in honor of Phoebe, that we at Highlands have women who serve as deaconesses. Now, these two qualifications work together in complementary ways so that you have elders who are able to teach, you have deacons who are willing to serve, and with the, the elder board and a fit diaconate, a church has that core that is healthy, that is ready to grow. After laying out these qualifications with the expectation that Timothy would fully employ them to weed out the unqualified elders from among the body uh, in the fellowship at Ephesus, he then takes a shift beginning in verse 14. And the closing words, I think, are, are quite relevant. After laying out these, the, the infrastructure for church leadership, he then goes on to make a powerful statement about the church's function in culture. Did you see this in verse 15, that the church of the living God is a pillar and buttress of the truth? Once you have all this intact, once you organize all of your church polity clearly in line with what Scripture says, the church is ready to serve as that pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, in the original context, I believe that some people might have, might have immediately likened these buttresses to the, the pillars that surrounded the Temple of Artemis. There were, here, here's a photo of it. There were 127 pillars supporting this immensely heavy roof. They were made of solid marble. They were studded with jewels and overlaid with gold, each a gift from a king, and each gift had a tribute to the king who gave it. 
So this spectacular temple was probably what came to some people's minds and the original recipients of, of this letter, the original recipients in, in Ephesus where Timothy was doing ministry, they probably thought about that, that picture of this structure that holds up the whole collective building. When a church fails to uphold the truth, the society that is around it crumbles. We are to be pillars and buttresses of the very truth itself. With that polity established, that infrastructure described, the job descriptions laid out, the church serving as this beautiful pillar and buttress of the truth, despite whatever pagan practices and debaucheries might run rampant in the city around the church, then comes this beautiful proclamation of the mystery of God. Here is Paul's closing words for this chapter. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Here is a look on just how far away we currently are at the Highlands Renton campus from the city where this teaching was first implemented, okay? Here we are in Renton, okay? We zoom out, okay, see, say, say goodbye to Renton. There's, there's Pastor Derek on the street corner. We love you, Derek. We're flying out, looking nationwide now. My family and I drove across all of this. There's not much in the very middle. And as you, tra as you traverse oceans, you probably see some Highlands missionaries beneath us here. Would you lift them up? These words of Paul's soar all the more when we look at the world itself and we find them to be absolutely true. Indeed, he was proclaimed among these nations and believed on the world. Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world. Proclaimed among these nations and believed on in the world. Look at how far the gospel came to reach us where we're at. It was indeed proclaimed among every nation, spanning oceans, transversing entire continents to reach us where we're at, and has been believed upon worldwide. He was manifested in the flesh. What does this mean? Merry Christmas. Jesus has been born, vindicated by the Spirit. Every much maligned prophecy Jesus made about the Spirit who would follow came absolutely true. The Spirit did indeed come in power. See the opening words of the book of Acts. He was seen by the angels. They've watched this whole thing happen. Proclaimed among the nations. If God's calling you to global missions, here's your confirmation. Believed on in the world and taken up in glory. This again we see in Acts chapter 1. In the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit pours out. In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost upon Jews. Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house upon Gentiles. So this is our ministry. This is our mission. This is our calling with our proper structure in place according to the biblical model clearly given, we can serve as a pillar and buttress of the truth to proclaim Christ among the nations that he would be believed upon in the world because he's been manifested in the flesh. He's been seen by the angels. And now, in obedience to great commissions, we can make disciples of Jesus Christ right where we're at in Highlands Renton and Highlands Kent and the greater Seattle area, bringing revival to the whole Pacific Northwest and sending missionaries to the uttermost parts of the world.
This is a beautiful thing when it's implemented. If God is calling you to serve as an elder, would you apply? This is not a drill, just as I said. If you have the ability to teach and you want to use that ability to teach, would you let us know and we'll find ways in which you can exercise exactly that gift. If God is calling you to serve as a deacon or a deaconess, again, would you apply for the process? Because this is, this is not a drill. We at Highlands Community Church are growing. And as we grow, we need more leaders to help reach out and equip and serve the body of Christ as it grows and grows in number. Now, I believe that the number of servants we enlist is directly proportionate to just how big we expect God to grow our body here. I believe that we need a tremendous number of people to step up and serve in ministerial leadership roles, to lead small groups, to use their gift to teach in various ways, to serve in next-gen ministries, to serve in global missions, to serve in adult ministry, to, to serve according to your gifts, to, to answer the call to eldership, to serve as deacons and deaconesses, because we're expecting more of the world to come. As we pray for revival, let's have leaders step up to harvest that, that which comes in. Let's act like we expect God to bring revival by enlisting more people into church leadership. My prayer is that you would be equipped for the work of service to which God has called you. That the gift of the Spirit that is latent within you would be fully enacted and celebrated here at Highlands Community Church. This is my particular calling, and it's not everybody's. It's not the, the, it's not the culmination of a discipleship process. It's just the office which God has called me. What has he called you to? And how may you live that out fully, regardless of your professional vocation? At Highlands Community Church, it is our job to see to it that you are equipped to do the work of ministry. Now, what is your gifting? That is your calling. Would you reach out to the church staff at the website? And if, there's, if you find the person who corresponds with your gifting and your calling, reach out to them and we will connect you and properly vet you and encourage you and train you and equip you to live out in full obedience exactly what that calling is. If you need to be mentored, if you believe that God's calling you to be a pastor, would you reach out to us? This is one of the things that I do throughout my week. It takes up a lot of time, but it's a blessed endeavor to sit across the table from people who likewise are called to be pastors. Thank you so much, Highlands Community Church. If God has drawn upon your heart to give your life to Jesus Christ, because you see this beautiful organization, this, this, this living buttress of the truth that is the church, and you say, like, I've got to be a part of that. There's something within me that, that longs to serve there. That is the Holy Spirit of God. This is a sacred moment, and today's the day that you step, in, step forward in obedience to what God has told you to do. So whether you are a Christian giving your life to Christ, or excuse me, whether you are a Christian stepping into obedience to your calling, or you were a non-Christian now stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ, in any event, would you reach out to us that we may come alongside you? You can fill out a Connect card on the Highlands app, or you can contact us through our website, highlandcc.org. Highlands Community Church, may the Lord bless you and keep you, His grace shine upon you, and give you peace.